it's a it's a tough one to swallow. You know, there, well, first of all, we had a lot of guys at fault now. A lot of guys at fault, okay? They played really, really hard. Uh, but the bottom line is, is there's a couple of errors that we made in the game that you can't do. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WBIR 10 Sports Podcast. I'm Patrick Murray with David Shealy. Tennessee loses to BYU 29-26 in double overtime. The Vols are now 0-2 to start the season for the first time since 1988, and this marks the first time that Tennessee has lost the first two games at home to unranked opponents since 1953. A horrible start to the season for Tennessee, and this loss to BYU was a game that Tennessee certainly should have won. They led for more than 49 minutes of regulation, and then let's set the scene for you. With 17 seconds left, BYU had the ball third and six on its own 20-yard line with no timeouts left. And the Cougars hit a 64-yard pass play to set up the game-tying field goal. Well, there's 17 seconds left on the clock, right? Uh, they have no timeouts. Uh, they got to go 60 yards to kick a field goal, or at least 40. So they can play three plays, right? So you play on top of them. The same defense that we called the previous plays when they, they lost 12 yards. Well, we got a guy that's got a deep third. All right, and one of their wide receivers got 20 yards behind the air guy that's supposed to be deepest in the deepest. And they threw him the ball and ran down there and kicked a field goal. David, you just can't let that happen in that situation. Yeah, and what's funny was the first question to Pruitt in the press conference was, well, what was the play call? And his answer was, well, one where you don't allow a guy to get 70-plus yards. And that's kind of obvious. I mean, you look at a situation like that, and you're thinking, well, it's not that hard. You know, you just back up. Have a guy deeper than the deepest of the deep, and that's pretty much what Pruitt was saying, and that's not what happened. There's just really no excuse for that. I think they coached it up the way you're supposed to. They said they had called really the same play over and over again, man up three deep, man up three deep. That's a kind of a simple concept, but no, I mean, it's just, it's not a laughing matter. It's, it's, a bad, it's a bad start for Tennessee, but that, that play right there just kind of summarizes how bad it's really been to start the season. Yeah, and as a guy that's covered almost every game for Tennessee football the last five seasons or so, seeing that play happen, I was like, oh, this feels familiar. I I have seen this before. I mean, uh, 2017 at Florida in the Swamp immediately comes to mind, the 63-yard touchdown pass from Felipe Franks to Tyree Cleveland. Uh, The play in 2016 at Georgia that... Most people don't remember because Jawan Jennings erased it with the Hail Mary catch, but prior to that, Jacob Eason hit, I can't remember the receiver for Georgia, but uh, a Georgia receiver had a, a, a long touchdown pass on a play where he got behind someone that he never should have. And uh, so th- it's this has happened several times to Tennessee in the last few years, and it, and it ended up costing him the game on Saturday against BYU. And it was tough for Tennessee's defense because they really – played pretty well for most of the game, especially the first half. They held BYU to negative four rushing yards in the first half after giving up 213 on the ground to Georgia State the, the prior week. I could tell that they were motivated to play in this one. They, they were hype. I could tell when they were running through the tee that these guys were ready to go, and they showed that. They, they, were, they were holding a BYU offense that has a dual-threat quarterback and some power running back. Like you said, negative four rushing yards. They played very, very well. They Sound defense, I would say, um, in the first half. Pruitt mentioned it in the presser. 
his middle linebackers, his secondary, they got a little bit tired. That fatigue got to him. This was a very long football game. There were a lot of timeouts early on from both sides, especially BYU. They were using their timeouts pretty early, kind of shamelessly. And we saw how this, especially when you talk about an extra period, you're playing two overtimes. There is going to be fatigue in that. It's a night game, so there's that anticipation of waiting all day. And it got to them. And those guys are young. They're inexperienced. Daniel Batuli is still not on the field, and that that's hurting Tennessee more and more. And I think with a team like BYU who sticks to the running game no matter what, that's going to wear you down. Because eventually, I know in the first quarter, you can get kind of hyped and all the emotion and the adrenaline's running. But late in that football game, when you're tired, you kind of don't want to tackle anybody. And and that's kind of what he saw from his guys, especially on that game when he touched down, when there's a pile of bodies just being dragged across the goal line. It was almost like a tug of war and Tennessee lost. Yeah, the defense certainly was worn down by the time we got to that second overtime period. And really, the defense shouldn't have been in the position to give up that big 64-yard play to lead to the game-tying field goal. The offense missed a number of opportunities to put away the game. You can go all the way back to the first half. I thought Jared Garantano did not have a very good game at all, hasn't played well the first two games this season. And you go back... To that drive at the end of the first half, Tennessee had a chance to go and score a touchdown. There was the throw to Jawan Jennings in the end zone that should have been a touchdown, maybe if Garantano had thrown it a little bit earlier, if he had led him a little bit more, but instead he gave a defender the chance to make a play on the ball, and he did, broke that up, should have been a touchdown. And then the next play, they had Josh Palmer open, and I think it was a post, they they. Could have taken a shot there. Palmer was open if Garantano had, th- had thrown it, but he didn't. Instead, he hit the check down, and then Tennessee ended up settling for a field goal there. And you know, it was interesting. I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago about uh, something that Bill Belichick finds important called the middle eight. It's the middle eight minutes of the game, those four minutes going into halftime, the four minutes coming out of halftime. And you know, it's the, the old, you can... You can compare it to video games when you're playing Madden or or you're playing, you know, NCAA football back in the day. Um, when you know you if you defer to the second half, then you score that touchdown going into halftime. You get the ball back, you score a touchdown again, and it's that 14 point swing. Well, Bill Belichick thinks that's really important. I think Jeremy Pruitt talked about it a little bit last week. You know, there's the the Belichick Saban connection, so there's some similar philosophy there. And then of course Pruitt coached with Saban for a while, so I think Jeremy Pruitt believes in that as well. So and then there's a statistic that the middle eight in Power Five college football. The team that wins the middle eight minutes of the game wins the game 76% of the time. And so Tennessee went in with a chance to get a touchdown going into halftime and then to get the ball coming out of halftime. They didn't get get the touchdown. Instead, they kicked a field goal. And then coming out of halftime, Garantano throws an interception and BYU goes and scores a touchdown. So Tennessee lost the middle eight minutes 7-3 to and then ended up losing the football game eventually. Yeah, we we talked a little bit last week about how it was important for Tennessee to get inside the red zone and end that first half with a touchdown against Georgia State. They were given a similar situation this week, and they they failed once again. I mean, in football, it's honestly, it's just a pass or a fail. You know, it's the same thing. Either you get better or you get worse every week. And honestly, it's 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 Tennessee failing to score when they get inside the twenty. I was just looking over the drive chart, and, and we, I mean, the stats are going to say that Tennessee went three for four inside the red zone. 
But what it's not really showing you is that those, those three, well, one was a touchdown and that was in overtime. The other two that they say they, they scored on those chances were field goals. Scoring field goals in the red zone is not what you want to do at any time in a, in a, in a football game, especially at this level. There's, there's no reason for you to, to drive all the way down the field, get inside the 20-yard line, get inside the 10-yard line, and then have to kick a field goal, settle for three. There was once where they got inside the 20 and then had to turn the ball over on downs. And, I mean, at this point, a field goal is basically like turning the ball over on downs. Yes, you get some points, but you're keeping your opponent in the game. It kept Georgia State in the game last week. It kept BYU in the game this week, turning the ball over on downs. Of course, when you get no points, that kept BYU in the game. And all it takes is one big play to bring the other team right back into the ball game. And that's what the Vols are doing. They're giving up those one or two big plays. And, and even when they get a big play, last week it was Wood Anderson on the big catch. This week, they got another big catch. I think that was Jawan Jennings. And the drive stalled, and it ended with a field goal. They've got to cash in. And if they are, if they are giving field goals as opposed to touchdowns, you know, the other team scoring touchdowns and you're, you're kicking field goals, you're just, that's not a formula to win. It's not. That's like trying to answer uh, some team's three-point attempts with layups. It's, just, it's not going to work. Especially when you get into SEC play, you're, you're not going to beat SEC teams by kicking field goals. And, you know, you were talking about the red zone, but Tennessee got inside BYU's 35-yard line eight times and came away with two touchdowns. You have to be able to convert those opportunities. They, they missed a chance on, on a couple of fourth and ones that they didn't convert. And then even still, at the end of the game, in the fourth quarter, had a couple of chances. If you could pick up a couple of first downs, run some time off the clock, they could have won the game that way by just running out the clock. And they couldn't do it. They couldn't get those first downs that they needed to put it away. Well, honestly, you got to give a shout out to BYU's defense. They they're pretty strong in the middle of that defense. That's why we saw a lot of outside outside zone runs from Tennessee today. And in short yardage situations, BYU stepped up. They they completely stepped up. They got the they got the tackles they needed. They forced a couple of turnovers on downs when it was fourth and short. That was huge. And they 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 deserve the credit for that. I think towards the end of that game, they knew Tennessee was going to run the ball. At that, at that point, Tennessee had done a fantastic job on the ground, much better than they did last week. Only had 93 last week. They had, what was it, negative two rushing yards in the second half. They ended this game with uh, 242 yards on the ground. BYU gave up over 200 rushing yards a week ago to Utah. They keyed in on the fact that they need to stop the run, and hey, maybe the numbers say that they didn't do a good job with that. But when it was the most important time to stop the run on those critical fourth downs and then during that four-minute drill, they did so. They, they deserve the credit for doing that. But again, Tennessee has to make those two or three plays to win the game. And that was a situation right there where they just didn't do it. Yeah, Tennessee ended up 6 of 19 on third and fourth down conversions combined. You mentioned the rushing attack. Certainly much better this week than it was last week against uh, Georgia State. Ty Chandler had 154 rushing yards on 26 carries. And then the freshman, Eric Gray, had 77 yards on 
17 carries, and those were really only the two running the only two running backs that Tennessee had to go to. Tim Jordan uh, dealing with an ankle injury. They moved Aaron Beasley from defensive back over to running back this week during practice, and he's a freshman. And they had a couple walk-ons, and they had already moved Jeremy Banks from running back over to linebacker a couple weeks ago. So they're pretty thin at running back, but Chandler and Gray got the job done. Uh, so it was at least good. Tennessee did play better in certain areas. Certainly played better overall than it did against Georgia State. And one of the brighter spots was the rushing attack. And then played played pretty well on defense too. Daryl Taylor was able to get in the backfield and get a sack. They had four sacks overall. Latrell Bumpus had two of them, which was good to see. A, a guy that has played tight end for Tennessee the last couple of years. They move him over to, to defensive end this year. And Tracy Rocker, the defensive line coach, had said a few weeks ago in camp that he's looking like one of our better pass rushers. And that, that showed um, on Saturday night when, when Bumpus was able to pick up two sacks. And then an, another young guy that played well, I thought played well, uh, for Tennessee, he was Quavaris Crouch um, at outside linebacker. He was a four-star athlete coming in in um, this most recent signing class. He's a freshman playing outside linebacker for Tennessee. He didn't play a whole lot last week. Jeremy Pruitt said he still had some work to do to, to get on the field more. Played a little more this week. Had two quarterback hurries all early in the game. Defended a pass in, in pass coverage. So there were some bright spots for Tennessee in the game against BYU, even though it was a devastating loss in the end. Yeah, and there's always going to be at least a couple of bright spots because, I mean, as as what they say, embarrassing, that's what they call the loss of Georgia State, as embarrassing as that loss was, there were a couple of bright spots on defense. There there were some good things. I think we saw a lot more positives on defense, and you just pointed them all out. Um, I, I'm just looking at, and you can't really put this on a stat sheet, but just the instincts of Henry Tolotolo. He's a, he's a true freshman. He was flipped from Alabama. This kid has the instincts. He made a couple of plays tonight or last night that were really special in my mind. And, and I think that as, as time goes on, as the season goes on, he's going to get better. You can't say he's, you know, Daniel Batuli right now because Daniel Batuli is a leader, he's a senior. But I think as as the season progresses, we're gonna see more and more of those instincts mesh with that knowledge and that experience, and then we're going to be talking about him a lot. I mean, he he made he I think he made a critical tackle on third down to stop a BYU drive. Uh, I mean, he 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 hurried, um, he hurried BYU's quarterback, forced him to throw the ball away when they were when they were uh, uh, threatening to score a touchdown. He's got some he's got some real instincts. He's got some skill. I, I'm really impressed by what this kid has been doing. He's really been thrown into the fire. But I think he smells like smoke now because he's been through that fire and he's going to be pretty good. Yeah, I thought he played really well as well in just his his second game as a college player. Henry Toto did have a couple of big third down stops like you mentioned. And you can see some glimpses where you could sort of see where this defense could be pretty nasty maybe a year or two down the road. It's going to take a while. They've got some young guys, but you see them flash some ability. And kind of going back to reality here, we, we mentioned uh, at the top that this is the first time since 1988 that Tennessee started the season 0-2. That 88 team started 0-6 on the season. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen to Tennessee, but only because they've got an FCS team in Chattanooga on the schedule next week. But they haven't even gotten into the gauntlet yet. I mean, after Chattanooga, it's a trip to Florida. 
then Georgia comes to town, then you get Mississippi State, and then you travel to Alabama. It, you know, you get this little breather here with Chattanooga where you just have to get a win, but you know, you very well could see Tennessee being 1-6 in the middle of October. Well, the good thing is they also have a bye week coming up in the next few weeks, and that'll be a good chance to relax, get healthy, and get ready for an even tougher uh, schedule that's ahead of them. I mean, when you take a look at that, especially with the way the season started, just about all of those SEC games look daunting now. I mean, I know it's it's a little bit a ways away, but hey, if you're caught slipping, Kentucky's going to beat you. And Missouri, Vandy is, you know, the final game. But when I look at that Florida, Georgia, and then you get Mississippi State, Bama, South Carolina, who Muschamp has never lost to Tennessee as a head coach, that is brutal. That is brutal, and I said it last week that BYU was a must-win. Just about everybody pretty much agreed that that was a must-win because you cannot go into SEC play with a losing record. You can't do that, and now it's guaranteed. They could beat Chattanooga 77 to negative 3, okay? It doesn't matter. They're gonna, you're going to go into Florida with a losing record, whether you're going to be 0-3 or 1-2. And you don't want to do that at all. And now they're in that that now they're in that position. And it's going to be very it's going to be an uphill battle at this point if they want to get anything. I mean, at this point you're just fighting for six wins to get to a bowl game. Your your losses started off with Georgia State and BYU at home. At home. That that's that's the worst part about it. You you're not defending your turf. And you've got, if you want to be one of those really good teams, you've got to at least win every game at home. That's that, to me, to me, that's the formula, especially in a season like this where you've got eight games at home. If you just win your home games, you're bowl eligible. That's all they had to do was win their home games. And now you've dropped two to the, what's supposed to be your easiest home games. Chattanooga will probably be the easiest, but your supposed to be easiest home games you've lost two of them. So at this point they've got to get better like they said. They've got to make those plays like they've said, but it's just it's not looking very good. Chattanooga will be a great chance to get some of that frustration out, beat up on them a little bit, but after that I don't know. And that I mean they've become almost like the the welcome mat to the SEC, the punching bag, the but of all the jokes, whatever you want to throw in there, that's what we're looking at right now. And it's it, it's hard to watch. It's, it's hard to watch. But you never know. I mean, sometimes teams flip it around. We've seen teams start 0-2. You know, um, Alvin Kamara, VFL, the Saints started 0-2, ended up being the number one seed last year in the NFC. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? And even last year, a Tennessee team that played pretty badly at times, went to Auburn and beat a ranked Auburn team, beat number 11 Kentucky at home. So they had some games where they showed up and and played a lot better than people thought they were going to be. So I think you probably get at least one of those games at some point this season. Who knows when that will be. But uh, it's going to be tough going into that SEC gauntlet. And i got to say shout-out to the Tennessee fan base because they really showed up and showed out on Saturday night. Uh, 95,000 people in the stadium after losing to Georgia State. Uh, I was a little bit worried, to be honest, after the Georgia State loss that maybe a lot of fans were were kind of done, and I didn't blame them at all, honestly. But 
They proved me wrong. Tennessee fan base showed up. They were loud. It sounded pretty good, felt pretty good in Neyland Stadium for most of the night. It did, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fans for, for sticking, sticking it out, showing up. I made a mistake and thought BYU wasn't going to have a lot of people there. I was, I was wrong. They um, had one of the larger visiting team crowds I've seen in, in a few years one, in Neyland. One of the comparisons I heard was it hasn't looked like that for a non-SEC school coming into Neyland. I think they said the last one was probably Oklahoma from a few years ago. Yeah, Oklahoma 2015, definitely. I did not know BYU traveled that well. But then someone else brought up a good point and said, well, it's not so much that they travel well. BYU just has fans everywhere. They're like Notre Dame. They're like the Steelers. They're like the Cowboys. They're like the Lakers. They're going to have fans no matter what. They said most of those fans actually most likely came from Nashville, and, and not, not so much Utah, but they came from Nashville. They came from Georgia. Yeah, Atlanta, yeah. Charlotte, some of the bigger cities. They, they, weren't, they weren't from too far away. So give them props, too, for showing up, and they were loud. And that was huge in overtime. I think that was a big deal in overtime. Like Tennessee, when they moved to the other side of the field in overtime, I thought that was going to be advantage Tennessee because that BYU crowd was right there screaming at them. They scored a touchdown. They flipped the field. Now it's a little bit more quiet, but then they stalled out. So I, you know, I was wrong on that part too. I thought that was a great move to move all the way to the other side and then get away from all the noise because it sounded like BYU was at home for a second during overtime. So um, they they get props too. Tennessee, you showed up. You were there, you were loud, but BYU was there as well, and I, I just think that they deserve credit on all those fronts too. Yeah, definitely great fan base for them, and they're not a team that's expected to do anything great this year, nor have they in the last couple of years. So, yeah, definitely props to the BYU fan base as well. And one other thing I want to address, we've we've saw it a little bit last week. We've seen it more this week. I think it was even, even trending on Twitter at one point Saturday night. Fire Pruitt. We, we've seen some people calling for it. Uh, to me, I think that's crazy. Um, year two of uh, a massive rebuild. He's got a, a bunch of his young guys that he's playing on defense. I think you're only going to set your program back even further if you go ahead and fire Jeremy Pruitt, unless it just completely falls apart and and the wheels come off and it's a complete dumpster fire and there's all kinds of crazy things going on over there. But uh, otherwise, I, I think you've got to hang on to him. Uh, for at least a couple more years, let him get a couple more recruiting classes in and, and turn this roster over. And besides, I don't know if you can afford financially to to fire him and, and pay. I don't know off the top of my head what his buyout is, but you're still paying Butch Jones. I don't know if you can afford to be paying him, too. I think it's just crazy to be talking about uh, firing Jeremy Pruitt. And, you know, we've been mentioning that the 88 team, the, the last team to start 0-2, they started 0-6 that season in 88, they won their last five games and then won the SEC championship the next year in 1989. Now, I'm not saying Tennessee is going to go win the SEC championship next year, but I think this is the team that you're going to see get better as the year goes on, have a chance to win some games late in the season when the schedule gets softer. I mean, not that it wasn't soft these first two weeks, but when you get a little better and you can play Vandy and Kentucky and UAB, I, can, I think you're going to see this team get better this year and then get even better next year, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's fair to say you know fire Pruitt right now. Like you said, they can't really afford it. Butch Jones is still getting paychecks, and there's, there's a lot of his guys still on this roster. 
Pruitt needs time to get his guy, and then not just not just get his guys there, but get them acclimated to playing college football. Get them get them used to the system. Get them used to the atmosphere. He's thrown a lot of his young guys into the fire. You have to be patient. College football is completely different than just about any other entity that you can think of when it comes to recruiting and all of these things because it's 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 just not. It's not something where you can blow it all up and say, all right, all you kids, transfer. Like, that's just not how that works. Um, you can't really just release everyone without having a good reason to because they're, they're not pros. So it's just it's not that simple. Also, in college, there are a lot of different factors that go into whether or not we're keeping a coach or not. And, it's it's yeah, winning is a great way to keep your job. It is. It is a fantastic way to keep your job. But it's also... How are the kids in the classroom? Because the biggest thing now is that it's student-athlete, so they are students first. Are their grades good? Um, how is their behavior around campus? Are they following curfew? How are the rules being enforced? Things like that. How are they representing the University of Tennessee? If they're failing on all of those fronts, you're not winning, you're, you're not, you know, the grades aren't that good, it's this, that, the third, whatever, those are grounds to release a coach and relieve them of their duties. Seen it at Georgia State in multiple sports because it's not just, oh, they weren't. It's not, and, and the reason why they were let go is not because they weren't winning. Yes, that went into it. That was a factor, but it was, it was the rules. It was the grades. It was all of these things. And when a new coach came in, they weren't necessarily bragging about, oh, the women's basketball team is winning games now. No, like the grade point average jumped up an entire point. It's, it's things like that. There's so much that goes into college athletics that a lot of people kind of take for granted just because they see a product on the field or on a court and they say, well, it's not doing well, so just get rid of them. Then we talked about the contracts, the buyouts, and all those different things. Tennessee cannot afford the buyout for Jamie Pruitt. They can't. It's not smart to let him go. Then you you get on this national search for a new coach. Well, the money you offer that guy, depending on who it is, you know, it, it's probably not going to be what he wants because you don't have the money to do it. Now you're now you're paying your two former head coaches. You're trying to you give this the program and enough money and enough material to the new to the new coach, and it, it's just going to be it's going to be way too much. It's going to be way too much. Another thing when it comes to patience. Harrison Bailey's supposed to be at Tennessee next year. He's good. He's really good. I'm from Atlanta. I've seen him play at Marietta. He is the truth. I don't think you want to get rid of Pruitt because if you do that, he might decommit. He decommits. Now you don't have that quarterback. And all the complaining about, well, Garantano this, Garantano that, well, I want a new quarterback. Okay. Well, he leaves, and then you get someone that's not Harrison Bailey, and now it's just Really, really bad, and I, I don't, I don't think ball fans want that. Trust me. And just for the sake of the players, like the, there's a lot of guys on this team that have had three or four position coaches, three or four coordinators, three or four strength coaches in their time in Tennessee. Let's let these guys have a little bit of stability for a little bit, and, and you know, get to come in every day and every year and know who they're working with and who's coaching them and who's taking care of them, and then see what they can do with that kind of thing. So let's wrap it up. Tennessee loses to BYU 29-26 in double overtime. We have more coverage for you on WBIR.com. We'll talk about it some more on Monday after uh, Coach Pruitt's 
press conference at 11.30 a.m. on Monday. You can watch it live on WBR.com or the app or our Facebook page. And we'll bring you coverage all week long, getting ready for the Chattanooga game Saturday at noon. That's it for the 10 Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a great week.